Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. All right, Mason. I've got a theme for us for this week, at least for the the article and for my wine. Very good. The theme is places with, I guess, uh, unusual grape varietals. Mm. So, So this week, the wine that I'm sipping on is a red. Uh, it's a red that I, I don't think we've ever done before, and uh, it has a interesting history. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Zweitgelt, which is an Austrian grape. It's the most widely planted Austrian red grape um, mm-hmm. in Austria. So, <laughs> But it is also, it's also a very, very new grape. It was developed in 1922. Oh, wow. Yeah, so very, 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 very new. And uh, it is a cross between Blaufrankisch, which I also don't think we've done, and uh, Saint Laurent, which is very similar to Pinot Noir. Uh, I don't think hmm. I don't think we've done actually either one of those. So I might look into seeing if I can get Saint Laurent and uh, Blaufrankisch and see. And also, like I like the name Blaufrankisch. Yeah, it sounds cool. And um, and I like the name of, of Zeitgelt too. It's a uh, interesting and i'll go ahead and talk a little bit about it so um so like it's fi the the front part of that yeah looks like the german word for two it's like i think it i think it's actually named after the guy who yeah the guy who uh developed the, the uh, vine uh let's see yeah so it's two it's two gold is the oh okay is um so gelt is i think gold um and then Zwei, which is the German for two, so it's Zweigelt. Um, so, uh, dun, dun, dun. yeah, I think I'm, I'm looking up z- Gelt. So, yeah. slang money. Yeah, so it's it's two money. Oh, two money. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. Gelt, uh, yeah, you know, it's the Middle High German for money. Um, Geld, so Geld uh, to castrate. So, it's also like a past tense of to castrate hmm. so uh well that's in, i mean then, that's interesting i i no i think that's that's the english one so okay oh, okay but you know tonal shifts and all that other nonsense between yeah. english and german but yeah so definitely pretty cool yeah but yeah, yeah. i think it'd be cool to get the uh the precursor grapes i always think that's all yeah I, i'd be i'd be interested in that especially saint laurent which is apparently very similar to pinot noir i actually think this is very similar to like a a fuller bodied pinot noir uh, that's the that's the best way I would describe it. It does, it does have a lot of uh, red fruit flavor, and but very very smooth, very low tannins. So it's not. It, it's sort of like a Pinot Noir from Europe, where it's it's got sort of a mineraliness. Now I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and say what I what I put down well, in my notes. Blaufrankisch mm-hmm. is the called the Pinot Noir of the East. Oh, so. interesting. Okay, so I guess I guess Saint Saint Laurent and Blaufrankisch apparently are very similar to Pinot Noir then. I'm wondering if you reverse those. That's possible. Because <laughs> uh, I don't see St. Laurent, um, at least on the wiki. Um, yeah, so like St. Well, apparently, Laurent. Apparently St. Laurent is a cross of Pinot Noir and an unknown second grape. Oh, possibly. That, yeah. yeah, that's it's interesting. to be, but it's annoying to me that like a heavy European grape yeah. hasn't been genetically tested. Well, I mean, I, I think there might be like some difficulty with the genetic testing because uh, everything is cloned now. So I think 
the examples that they have, like there may be like these two different grapes and they're both Pinot Noir, but they're very different from each other genetically. So like they have a hard time identifying it if it's not one of the clones. Hmm, maybe. But I don't, I don't, I don't sense, know if that's but... true or not. I, that's well, that's like, sort of like my my guess. So this is one of those things to kind of get to something that I wanted to find a way that we could talk about mm-hmm. it on the show um, where it's not one of our which people don't seem to like as much are wide ranging older shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like genetic genealogy for police work. Mm -hmm. They compare many more sites on the genetic genomes to try to, you know, link people because it takes much less to prove you are somebody than it does to like, look at your ancestry. Right. So like, I wonder what type of genetic testing they're doing on the grapes, like how much of the, the genome they're looking at to try to compare it to another grape. So I wonder if like they could use some of those more advanced genetic testing or like more site markers yeah, that's, to try that's to true. compare grapes. Cause I think that would be like way easier. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, you know, go to France, you know, get Cabernet Sauvignon, you know, like get the big, you know, the yeah, like well-known yeah. grapes and then like test them and be like, all right, here you go. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I wonder also if it's a price thing too, or if people just don't care. Cause you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the show before is that in Chile, they used to think that um, Carmenere or Carmenere, as as we you and I like to call it, um, mm. that that was they thought I believe they thought it was Malbec for a long time. Yeah, and then you know genetic testing came in. They went, oh, this is certainly not Malbec. Yeah, and, but like to me, you know, but that's to me like if you're if you're if you're testing Chilean grapes. Mm-hmm. And you're not testing like Austrian grapes where you don't know the heritage. Yeah. Well, but I'm wondering if <laughs> I wonder if it's Chileans cared to f- figure out what it was, and like in this case, Austrians just don't care that much. Well, th- that's what I mean. Yeah. Is like I can't believe like just you know like Chile has like I'm sure like a lot of like availability for testing, mm-hmm. but like I'm sure there's way more testing availability in Europe. And especially amongst like the French areas, yeah, yeah that's like, probably for, true. Yeah, you know, purity and things like that. So it's just one of those things like I don't understand. Where, like, I think you and I, like, if we had the money, yeah, we'd just be rolling through testing everything. Yeah, and, like, yeah, that's what that's is, probably true. What is this tech? Like, I think if you and I, well, when you and I own a winery, we're gonna have so many like weird statistics on all of the wine where it's just like, yeah. Did you wonder what the pH of the barrel washout was? Well, it was six. Right. <laughs> like, you know, oh, just nonsense I, yeah, like for that. sure. I, you know, I'm, I like that kind of stuff. I like data a lot. And, and also mm. from my understanding too is grapes will, even the vine itself will mutate over time. Yeah. And so you can do, you can do genetic testing later on and have, have different, slightly different results. Even if it's a clone, uh, you'll get, you'll get slightly different results because it will mutate over time. And then just whatever you have planted in the vineyard, you're going to get the because you know grapes are are uh, pollinated via wind, not mm-hmm. via insect typically, um, and they're hermaphroditic, so they can just kind of pollinate each other. So if I well, when we own a winery, I'll probably be like, let's save some of those uh, seeds and see what they are now, or let's, let's just yeah. let's just grow a couple of these and see what they what they what you know what turns out. I mean, it takes takes four years for a vine to mature, but you're going to get fruit in the first year and you'll be able to tell, like, what is it? Oh, I think we'll be making field varietals like yeah. crazy, probably. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I kind of imagine us owning a mount, like a hill, 
and planting like the weird stuff on the backside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's like just not as favorable. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, this let's is see what does. Yeah, let's check it out. Yeah, but anyways, like, let me go. The, let me do the flavors. Yeah, yeah, sure. The, there, what what I got on this? So, mm-hmm. uh, I got it from uh, Total Wine. Thirteen uh, percent alcohol by volume. It's nineteen dollars a bottle. Uh, so eighteen ninety nine, and uh, like I said, the look very pleasant red, kind of a darker color. Uh, the smell is uh, full, uh, full red fruit, it's very, like very fruity smelling. Mm-hmm. Actually, like for the listeners who know, like uh, a Beaujolais Village, uh, very similar to that in the smell. It, it is super fruity smelling. Uh, there's also some mineraliness to it, so it's kind of got like uh, like a metallic, like in a metallic smell. Uh, once you taste it, though, it's mostly I, I put bread first because the first taste I had was like French bread, sort of that so like yeasty, yeah, like that yeasty French bready taste. But then after I had a couple of sips of it, that 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 French bread kind of subdued, and it's just red fruit. It is very okay. very red fruity, very smooth, very fresh. Uh, it has a medium finish. It doesn't really stick with you for a super long time. Uh, this to me, especially at the price point of of a nineteen dollar wine. Uh, now your friends probably won't know what a, a Zweitgelt is, but you can bring it. It's an Austrian wine that's interesting for one, and you could bring it to like a lake barbecue, and I would chill this actually. And they, there's some there, some of the sites that I saw have recommended that it's chilled, uh, which is not usually what you do with reds. Uh, mm-hmm. Although we do we do tend to drink reds in the states, and you and me uh, do tend to drink reds warmer than they should be. And we I mean, drink, I drink most alcohol warm, so yeah. Well, and you and I think we also tend to. Well, I don't know about I don't know about you. I tend to drink whites way colder than they recommend. And I probably, but like I also, well, I think you drink your white faster than I drink mine. Yeah, because I don't think you savor whites as long because you you're looking for more of the refreshing aspect. Yeah, that's Whereas, probably true. Like I just like sipping on white. You know, so. Mm. Now, well, speaking of white, well, before that, okay. I have a couple <laughs> questions. Okay, so tannic acidity any of those uh i would i would i'd say mildly acidic not not very Mm -hmm. acidic at all not like that's that's where i think it would kind of diverge from pinot noir a lot is Mm pretty good pinot noir uh it does not have that acidity present it has some it's actually very it's very balanced Um, okay now no there's very very little tannin so it's very smooth okay how long have you had it open i opened it this evening so i've had it open for 45 minutes 45 minutes yeah. now how long was it in the glass before you kind of did your tasting notes about 45 minutes i opened it poured okay. it i That's opened good. it poured it i ate this yeah, no, I, I got this um the reason that i was late to the show was we stopped and got uh well the sushi place but I, you know i don't eat sushi mm-hmm. um so I, mm-hmm. I had uh Whatever the skinny noodle is of yucky soba or versus yucky udon, whatever the skinny one is, <laughs> that's the one I had. Soba. Soba. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, was, I think so. I think udon is the the fattier noodle. It's actually really good. Noodles. I I like yeah. I like the thicker noodles better, but this one that we had, there's this part of Dallas called the Bishop Art Arts District. Mm-hmm. We don't really ever go over there, but we were coming back from Six Flags and uh, and also earlier we went to Ripley's, believe it or not, and. This was kind of on the way back, so we stopped down there. It was a really cool part of town. I, I it reminds me of like, it's actually it's like a hilly version of Ghent, kind of. Ooh, yeah, it's kind of a cool area. That sounds very nice. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool. And all right, but yeah. So, anyways, moving on to so, your wine, no, <laughs> or, no, no, or, no. or or more questions about mine. <laughs> well, so 
the, you have a huge wine collection. Mm-hmm. What specifically drew you to purchase this? Well, so Total Wine has this deal right now that if you buy eight bottles of wine, you get 15% off, right? Okay. And I took that that uh, class with uh, Elizabeth from Wine for Normal People, mm-hmm. and I had to get five bottles of French wine for that. Okay. And gotcha. so I had three bottles that... I could have just gotten the five and and just gotten ten percent off, but they mm-hmm. they're running a deal, and I was like, well, three more bottles, not a big deal. So I got I got three bottles of stuff that are interesting to me. So uh-huh. so I had no, I, had, no, no, no. I, yeah. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. I'd read about Zweigelt. I got that. I got a um, actually, I also got a, another a different Pinot Noir, uh, a Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley, I think. Or it might have been Santa Rita Hills. I think that was I, it was Santa Rita Hills because I was I was curious about comparing the Santa Rita Hills one that they had for like sixteen dollars to the mm-hmm. one that I have that's like ninety dollars. Yeah, I I have the remember I did that one Russian from the yeah 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 that that we that we ended up seeing for sale at the uh, I, the I don't remember the name of the gas station in Texas. Oh but yeah, it's the the ice cream gas station. Mm-hmm. Oh oh QT. Yeah, yeah, because Bucky's my my daughter's got the shirt from Bucky's. Mm-hmm. I remember Bucky's, but yeah, the QT like they I saw it, ended up seeing that they had it for sale there. So I got a third bottle, but I can't remember what it is. I I think, <laughs> I think it was like a I think oh I know what it was. It was a, a Cab Franc from uh, uh, Mendoza, Argentina. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to I wanted to see. I had, I've had one before from Mendoza that I didn't think was great, but I wanted to give this one another try because this one's actually quite a bit more expensive. Um, mm. So I didn't actually get a third cheap one. I got just a third interesting one. Gotcha. So I have had pretty much the entire bottle of this wine throughout the day. Um, so I've got Vavasor Atwar Valley Sauvignon Blanc 2016, um, 13.5 ABV. Now, this is a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Mm, okay. So you know me. I was in the Kroger. Mm-hmm. And for like most of July, they like the Kroger that I go to is a marketplace one, as we've discussed ad nauseum on the show. They kind of have this like area by the farm. So like we enter, if you're looking at the front of the building, we enter on the right side and it's very large. It used to be a super, uh, it's not a super Walmart cause it's a Kmart, but whatever the big Kmarts were. Yeah. Um, so it was that it's just what it used to be. So it's been converted. So this is all all the way on the left side by the pharmacy and by these like single use bathrooms. This is the one on General Booth Boulevard, mm, Holland. Oh, on Holland. Uh, yeah, yeah, Holland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they have this kind of like back area, this little corner where like I guess it leads to like a mechanical storage sty- style room or something. There's a mm-hmm. room back there you can't go into. Okay. Um, and you know most Julys they have like a big table with a bunch of wines on it. So I was looking over there and I saw. You know, these wines and left, and I, I had gotten one that I really liked that I wanted to do on the show, but I could never find it again. So as the sale wore down, they moved some of the wines back to a table in the wine section. Mm-hmm. So I saw this. Um, I realized I'd been doing a lot of reds, and I wanted to do some more whites. Um, you know, I like Riesling. I like Pinot, uh, Pinot Grigios. I've had some weird after show experiences where like i just haven't been able to sleep correctly and like 
I've been trying to figure out, is it the wine? Is it my water consumption during the show with the wine? You know, all this stuff. So I saw a Savion Blanc and it has a giant rooster on it. And I was like, no, that was kind of cool. And oh, I think so I, the, I think I know this brand. Maybe it's a, like a white label with a gray yeah. rooster. It's a yeah. white gray label. Let me, yeah. let me, I'm going to open it up because you sent yeah. me the link. They have a Pinot Noir. Really? So I might have. If, that, I can, that's if we can find the Pinot Noir, we might want to do that to have a new world, but completely other side of the yeah world Noir. Um, so this was retailing for sixteen forty nine, but I got it for ten thirty three. It's one of the few uh, Kroger discount wines that the sale price isn't kind of a widely available price. It looks like you can probably get it for about eighteen bucks. Hmm. I haven't had this. <laughs> Is it screw top? Yeah. That's kind of cool. So that's why I sent you that yeah. quote. This one's so also a screw top, the, the yeah. Zweigelt that I have. Oh, nice. Yeah, I kind of so, like them now. Like, I At first I thought they were kind of like low quality, and, and now I'm kind of like, well, it's just easy. <laughs> Sometimes the caps are low quality, Yeah, but I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So this is one of those wines where um, there's something about New Zealand whites. They have like a different flavor to them. Yeah. And like I really want to get a like a good French Sauvignon Blanc, a good mm. California, okay, or Southern. I want to get a California, a South American, and a New Zealand. Yeah, because like to me Sauvignon Blanc, it's acidity forward, and I think you would say that too. Like you know Sauvignon Blanc, it's acidity forward, and then the white grape varietal flavors where you get like fruit sometimes tropical fruit depending you know mango those sort of things but like acidity is the forward the forward thing on this the new zealand ones even when they're supposed to be like acidity forward kind of have like more fruit sometimes like the the silver leaf or silver fern that we had yeah it was like grassy like it was a grassy pinot grigio you're like what what is this like this is it's just different and it's kind of minerally um so the Atar Valley is in, um, oh my goodness, I looked it up, but I don't remember. But it's basically on the southern island, but the northern part of it. Okay. So, and it's like Marlborough or Marlborough. So huh. it's kind of like the cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, overall, really good. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things, it's like 1033 for something from New Zealand. Like, I can't imagine you can get, like, obviously I know freight's cheaper than that, but like, you got something from like if it were in California and it was like ten thirty three and it was from New Zealand, but like okay, it didn't have to then be trucked all the way across the United States from like entry point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it's so far away, like to be ten dollars, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, I mean it's it's really so, it's a miracle of the modern market is yeah you know whatever's going on it's it is it's pretty it's pretty amazing that they can get something from here and clearly you know people are. You know, people will sell things at a loss if it doesn't sell well, and they just need mm-hmm, to clear out mm-hmm. the inventory. But, uh, you know, if if they can get it here and they can make a profit and are and you can find it because it doesn't seem like when you look it up, just generally, like that doesn't seem like an unreasonable price. No, like sixteen dollars wouldn't have been unreasonable, yeah, right? But yeah, so it's it's pale golden, um, and in fact, it's even more toward the straw colored um like i said it, it's got a light acidity but sharp fruit flavor there is some minerality to it um it has some almost carbonation on the tongue not a lot but um to me it smells like good white wine 
My wife thinks it smells like rotten food. Interesting. Huh. Like, she wouldn't even try it. Or she did take a sip and she was just like, no, no, no this is not for me. Huh. <laughs> like, Interesting. She really does. Like, she's a white drinker as well. Um, you know, Riesling, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc. Like, those are all in her wheelhouse. She does like Chardonnay. Um, you know, not as much as my mom does. My mom's like a big Chardonnay drinker. But, like, my wife will drink most white wines. It's if Unless they're too, too sweet. But, like, she just thought this tasted terrible. Um, I think it's got some... They say, like, on the website, like, stone fruit to me. It's kind of like a grapefruit mango combo. Yeah. But I think there's something else in the flavor that, like, if you were drinking this, you probably would pick it out and it would help me describe the fruit flavor a yeah. little better. It, it It's weird because, we, you know, we're, we drink wine. Right. It's made of grapes. It has a grape grapiness to it, but not like that Concord grape or, like, it, it's kind of like when you get, you know, green grapes and they're, something's a little off on them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hmm, this is different, and it's not bad. Like, you know, you, you get a grape and it's bad, and you're like, oh, this is just a bad grape. But, like, sometimes you get those green grapes, and you're like, you're not from a grape producer. Yeah. Like, there's something different about this this vine or something like that. It's kind of like that, where there's something else is going on with it. Um, really fun. Like, I really want to try more of the stuff they do. Um, I'm hoping I can find the, the Pinot Noir, um, because I really want to try something like from so far away and new zealand is such a different climate it is i think new zealand is really very good pinot noir a lot of times too so it'd be interesting oh so you've had a pinot noir from new zealand okay yeah from uh the silver fern or whatever the one that we had oh that's right that's right that's right we had the pinot gris from then and then later on i think actually it was at total wine also i was just Mm -hmm. kind of browsing and i was like oh here's the pinot noir from that and i had read or maybe heard it on one of the other wine podcasts that I listened to. Uh, well, I only listened to one other wine podcast, but <laughs> I might have heard it from her on on that show that uh, New Zealand has very good Pinot Noir, and it would make sense. Yeah. It's a cooler climate, and um, yeah, definitely very organy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, like, um, I, so if, if if as I recall, I liked it a lot. It was much. It, it was a lot more similar to. Um, European Pinot Noir than it was mm-hmm. to Oregon Pinot Noir. So yeah, it, that was the thing that I remember. You you really touted that Pinot Noir over the like the Grigio, where you mm-hmm. were like, yeah, there's something off here, like something different. And we you I think you liked it a little more than I did, but I think yeah. it's because like what I look for in Grigio is like the extremeness. Mm-hmm. Like, like the acidity, yeah, that's one of the things I really like in red wines is when they're very acidic or very tannic. Yeah. Um, mainly because like, you know, as I like espresso and bitterness is a huge flavor component of that. But right. like, I don't taste bitter the same way you do. Yeah. Like, yeah. Your bitter is very strong to you where to me it's like an adventure. Yeah. So like, obviously something that's very bitter, like, but have you ever had Ulm? I don't think so. So it's a bittering agent. Okay. And so like when I would get like a, not like a cold sore, cold sore, but like sometimes I could get like a kind of like a cold sore in my mouth. My mom's like, hey, if you put this on it, it basically like pickles the thing and it stops it from being a problem. Huh. Interesting. This stuff is really bitter, but I would do that. And 
like I kind of liked the, the flavor from it. Okay. So like, you know, the thing is like it was it was a weird flavoring thing. I just I very much enjoyed it. So well, I mean, um, you know, everybody does taste things differently. One of the things yes. that we did in the in that class when I was getting the W set certification mm-hmm. was we all took a bitter stick and put it yes. in our mouths, and there was a very large percentage of the class that tasted nothing. Mm-hmm. And very large, and I wouldn't say a large percentage. There was like one person who was like nauseous from it, and then there was people like me and and a couple of other people who are like, well, "That's clearly, clearly bitter, but mm-hmm. it's not so bitter that it's gonna, you know, destroy me or anything." What this one, the one dude though, like was like about to puke, like he was. Well, it just was for him, not the flavor that was good. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was it, just like I took it out and then put a little salt in my mouth, and it was fine. Yeah, but, like, so that's what I was going to say is, like, I think you, like, my wife, like, kind of have, like, iron stomachs. Yeah. Where, like, it's very hard to turn your guys' stomach. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and that's the thing is, like, I, you know, not, like, obviously, like, I had a, a reaction beyond anyone else. But, yeah. so, now, one of the things that we talked about before the show started was you had some adventures with one of our uh, co in production of childerberg that's podcast right. folks yeah yeah, so yeah i believe uh now is the time of the show where we're going to plug some friends that's right uh, so if you like what we do but you don't want a guided topic and you think cryptids are fun you can always listen <laughs> to friends against government podcast where uh bird archist and uh car camp it have fun don't announce who their guests are don't give any background to their guests so it makes it very hard to understand who half the people are if you haven't been listening to every episode which means you should listen to every episode um they also go by the fags that's then right. We have well, you know, uh, what, let's let's like, go ahead and let's sure. let's plug uh, first because of who was Childerberg, on the, uh, the actual important thing. No, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think we I think we plug Childerberg enough on this, but um, I don't think so because uh, we haven't sold out of shirts. That's well, that's true. Anarchist Garage, uh, which mm-hmm. is um, Eric Laprise and uh, uh, I can't believe I can't. Oh, they're Unreal Anna Adams um, mm-hmm. on Twitter. They both they both do. That show, which is is a lot of interesting things, but it's mostly focused on ways. It's that like you, our it's like our earlier episodes, yeah. but with like actual drive and focus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's it's very it's very focused on like things things you can do to kind of withdraw mm-hmm. from the state. And then uh, so Eric was 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 with us this weekend uh, mm-hmm. when Car and I got together. Well, Eric planned it, so it was it was kind of Eric's get together. Um, <laughs> Well, you know what's interesting, Mason, is you'll understand this because there's rallies out in Virginia. There are. Uh, that was like the childhood like fast food restaurant for Eric in, okay. in the Austin area, I guess, is where okay. he's from. And then yeah. all of the rallies, or they're, they're called Checkers out here, but they're, it's rallies, yes. the same company. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess they all shut down in Texas. Oh, no. And then the last couple of years, a new franchisee has come in and started opening them again. And so that was kind of the crux of why we all went down to the middle of nowhere in this town, uh, Fairfield, which if you're from Fairfield, I apologize for calling it the middle of nowhere, but there's just nothing it's there. It's the middle of nowhere. It's it's an hour and a half out of Dallas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if yeah. you're an hour and, a half, hour and a half out of Dallas, Texas. Yeah. yeah unless yeah. you're like, unless you're literally like, you know, at the if you're measuring from the very, very edge of Dallas to the very, very edge of Fort Worth, and you <laughs> right. hit a lot of traffic, yeah, it's the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Dallas and Fort Worth are so big. So there's a there's a gas station there, and mm-hmm. the gas station has a Checkers in it, 
Hmm. So that's why. So we met there, and additional friend of the show, Mister Sue from the Sue. Well, actually, it's not called the Sue Electoral Podcast anymore. It's now it's called a boy named Sue. Uh, he changed the name. So uh, I I can see from a marketing perspective why to do that. Yeah. Um, but I like the other name more. Yeah, I guess there was somebody who had the pseudo intellectual, and yeah, so it was confusing. It, like I, I can see that that's it's a hard. It, it's you mispronounced it forever. Like I don't think I got close most of the time. <laughs> right. Like you know we're we're bad at pronouncing wine, and we do have a wine show. Like yeah, I get it. so Mr. Sue was there. Uh, Car Eric. Um, yeah, and that was it. Uh, Maddie, Maddie K from, um, is it a racist state? Is PA. that his? I, I have to say, I unfortunately, I don't know. I think I think it's a racist state. I think that's his show. And mm-hmm. uh, he was supposed to come, but he ended up not being able to make it, which was, you know, was fine. But uh, yeah. I would have liked to He's see him. He's too busy protecting Scott. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, anyways, and so those are, those are the kind of localized plugs based on like what mm-hmm. happened this weekend. We'll go ahead and plug, let's plug one more because we... I noticed on our last couple episodes we go way too long on plugs. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think it's because, true mainly because I do them. But <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'll, I, any, anybody no. that we want to plug that we don't actually verbally plug will be in the show notes. But yeah, uh, I, think I do uh, want to plug Nikki, uh, Nikki PE, and Lizzie mm-hmm. because they were on uh, an episode of. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Hold on a second. I'll pull it up. Sure. It's uh, the system is down. It's. Um, uh-huh. I can't remember the dude who does it. He's he's like a Lions of Liberty friend guy. Mm-hmm. And he actually, his show is fantastic, by the way. Because uh, once I heard Lizzie and Nikki on it, I went back to go look at a couple of others. And he, he sort of does the same topics as like the fag cast, mm-hmm. but serious. So he'll have on, yeah, he'll have on somebody who's like an investigator into Bigfoot kind of thing. He had a guy who like knew about the Nephilim and... Like was like not an expert exactly, but like knew a lot of information about the Nephilim. Yeah, was, I mean it's yeah. it's like you know when you look at Scott Horton and you're like Waco. Yeah, he wouldn't claim to be an expert on Waco, but you're like you freaking closest thing I'm ever gonna get to like an expert on Waco. Right. Yeah, you had this lady who who was like uh, talking about how she had like alien blood and runs a cult in Mexico and used to be a porn star and stuff. It was really weird. But so, she, so she's like a person who claims to have native american blood in the united states (laughs) right mexico that's what they claim aliens i I guess so i have no (laughs) idea it was it was super interesting sorry that sounds fun yeah Yeah, i'll have to check it out that that sounds very good yeah so uh but nikki uh nikki p and lizzie were on that show and that was really good and they have their own show Mm -hmm. actually nikki's got like eight million shows that are all very good Uh, they are yeah yeah so he's got uh well the one that you and i liberty yeah sounds like liberty one that you and i both been on he's got uh Free Markets, Green Earth, I think is one. I uh, think that's the name of that one. That one is a very interesting concept. Yeah, I like that one a lot. He's also got This Week in Liberpods, which is nice. We've been fe- featured on, on This Week in Liberpods, which is basically just a summary of libertarian podcasts because you know the joke is that every libertarian has a podcast, and that's not true. It's every other libertarian because there's always two libertarians on the uh, podcast. So I was going to say, like, <laughs> I mean, if Tom Woods has his way, we all have podcasts. Yeah. So, and, and you, know. you know, but so he kind of does just a summary of who's who's what happened this week, which episodes he thought were really good uh, and does like a, a, a like a three or four minute clip from them. And wow, yeah. uh, so it's a I good summary. I didn't know you've been featured on that. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were on that. I think we were talking about dogs and uh, getting dogs to not sniff drugs and instead sniff wine barrels. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he's got another one called The Introverted Musician, I think. And mm-hmm. he's got, I know he's got one or two more. He he does a lot of podcasts, so he he's a cool guy. Actually, I think he's I think you can just look up look up his just look up Nikki P and you can probably find his website and he'll he'll have a list of them. So if you if you can't get a if you can't find Nikki P and you're listening to Liberty podcasts, reach out to Jacob on Twitter, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, yep. Tasting Anarchy at Gmail dot com, Tasting Anarchy dot com. Like reach out to Jacob in some way and we'll get you some links. Yeah, that's right. If you can't find him. You're really not doing a good job. I mean, he was at Porkfest. I mean, yeah, he was at Porkfest with the Lions Liberty, which I thought was really interesting. Like, I don't think he was necessarily there, like, you know, specifically with them, but like he was tagging around with them or was around with them at certain times. So, like, I mean, you know, he's definitely for somebody who just joined the movement. He's I, yeah. pushing waves. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, he is. He's a, he's a wave maker. He's he's definitely yeah. one to follow. He's a, and he's a cool guy too. I we we yeah, chat we chat nice. on Twitter once in a while and, yeah. and he's he's a neat guy. Now, I would like to do one additional okay. plug. All right. And it's for upcoming friends and people. So I had a blast at Schilderberg. I had a blast because one, I got to see you. Two, I got to see Victoria. I didn't get to see Foxy. I was disappointed in that, but I understood why. But I met two guys that I absolutely had a blast with, and it's Will and Jared from Peaceful Trees. Oh, that's right. Like, yeah, that's a good. This is a good plug. <laughs> just like absolutely super, super fun guys. They're so interesting, so nice. It not that anyone else wasn't super interesting and nice, but like I, I don't know. I hit it off with them. Like we went out and like got breakfast when no one else was awake, or everyone else was awake but was doing something else. And I was just like, I need coffee. And they're like, Yeah, I need coffee too. And I was like, all right, well, let's take the wine van and go get coffee. <laughs> so, like, off we went. Um, we're trying to put something together where we're going to do an episode with those guys, uh, which reminds me I have to figure out how to do some recording stuff because they're trying to master their sound quality, and I want to participate in that because... That's right. They did the talk gentleman. about that, yeah, yeah. On, their, on the last their last episode. He was, Correct. He was saying, like, he's trying to get, like, really high-quality sound. Yeah, I mean, and they sound pretty good most of the time, and, like... If some of the spoilers for them, things that happens in their lives that they were talking about, <laughs> they may not be able to record together as often. Yeah. So if we can get, you know, that software going, or if that guy who has that really complicated Twitter handle. Oh, no, Orthazar. Orthazar. Yeah, yeah. Orthazar McNucom. Yeah. Now, Orthazar, I don't think you listen to us very often, but if you do, I talk about this literally every yeah. episode. He's, you he's have cool to get that going. That was such a great idea. Please just do it. Like, literally, I think you would probably make money off of Peaceful Treason alone because, like, it was such a brilliant idea. Yeah. And it would take so much out of their lives. But yeah, so Will and Jared on Peaceful Treason, fantastic guys. Uh, so tastinganarchy.com tastinganarchy on twitter tastinganarchy at gmail.com now on to jacob you don't know this mm-hmm. um but i'm going to say it now if everything works out mm-hmm. the way it should in life right which is you know knowing us probably not probably not even <laughs> close the only thing we've ever followed through was childerberg in this podcast um i think our first wine tour is going to be moldova I, yeah, well, the, the, one, the one where you and I go, or the one where multiple like literally people go. just it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, because we lead the way in doing most stuff. That's true. You know, I I will not comment on how much money anyone else makes in the wine the Liberty Movement 
you and I invest some of the dumbest amount of money in stuff that's true. <laughs> that we get into. So, yeah, that's true. like, everyone else may make <laughs> millions of dollars. Yeah. You and I throw dumb money at dumb money. So, yeah. I I will say, un, you know, so we've aped the con, uh, the Contra Cruz with Childerberg. Now we are going to ape the Contra Cruz with a wine tour. So, Moldova is a country mm-hmm. where... It's north of Ukraine. That's no, as much it, as I know. No, no, no. no. It's, well, I mean, it's sort, it, parts of it are north of Ukraine. It's, it's parts of it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's west of it's west of Ukraine. It is a mm-hmm. it's a sliver of a country. Yes. Um, it is not very populous. It is like, well, to kind of paraphrase Victoria, you know how like we talk about West Virginia when we live in Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's basically how Ukrainians talk about Moldova. Yeah, because they don't make fun of Georgia because they made all the wine. Right, exactly. No, bad, bad joke. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah. we have an article today uh, from Forbes about Moldova yes. and how its wine industry is expanding. But mm-hmm. Jacob and I, uh, so everyone doesn't know, behind the scenes, Jacob and I are obviously friends. We do a show together. We have known each other for 10 plus years. Next year, we're talking about doing an a personal vacation together. Yeah. Um, right. And now I had the peninsula in Mexico incorrect, the Yucatan. So even oh. further, even further into the Caribbean oh, than uh, Baja, which is not in the Caribbean at all. I know that, but um, so Yucatan or Wales. So well, both of those sound good to me. Um, yeah, I mean they both sound amazing to me. I think the Yucatan makes more sense for yeah. flight purposes, especially from if you're flying from like Houston to yeah. the Yucatan. That's really not a long flight, but I don't know if any flights do that. That's not the point. But I think we're going to try to set up a, a wine tour of Moldova for 2021. Yeah. Will it well, at least and, be kidnapping and, Jackson Blood? I'm oh, pretty man, sure I'm going to cool. say that now. So Jackson, good luck. You're coming to Moldova. So. And if anybody happens to be listening from eastern europe and you want to be a translator because victoria won't do the translating she she does not she hates translating uh we're probably either going to have to hire a translator or if somebody wants to volunteer i'll buy all your wine while we're while we're traveling around i'm gonna bet most of the wineries in moldova speak some english i highly highly doubt it i know Um, you do but but my understanding with moldova just like west virginia Uh uh-huh is the education isn't actually that bad. And well, I'm yeah. betting because of the wine tourism that we're going to talk about in a sure. little bit. Yeah, two years, there's going to be some people who can speak some well, l- let me Let me rephrase it, I guess. is So Victoria, when she moved from Ukraine to New York, mm-hmm. she was under the impression that she was a good English speaker. And then she arrived in the United States and couldn't communicate with people. Well, I will... The only thing I will push back on, yeah, as much as I love your wife, mm-hmm. she is very sure of herself, mm-hmm. and in many, many, many <laughs> regards, yeah, that's true, should be, yeah. But you, your written English, oh, man. is better than my written English a lot of the times. <laughs> no, like, no. well, the spe- no, no, no. not not the spelling. <laughs> no, 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 grammatically, yeah, you are pretty good. Your spelling is just so bad it destroys the grammar. Right. My spelling is bad, but my grammatical writing is not great. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't see mistakes that you will see that I don't. Yeah. But, like, you and I are very highly communicative in English. Mm-hmm. We're very good at it. 
the first time you're the first time I met Victoria, and you're like, "Oh, she speaks English pretty well," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, she doesn't." Yeah. Now, subsequently, yes, I think just having to communicate with you, yeah, who is very talkative. That's true. Has, just light years. Like she's just. I would, you know, like obviously I know she's from another country. Mm-hmm. And now it sounds like I'm pandering to your wife, who's <laughs> probably not listening, no. can't hear me, and probably not going to listen to this. No, probably but, <laughs> but that's my point is, like, it, when your wife puts her mind to something, she's very, very quick to pick something up. That's true. Well, and, 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 when, once, and once she moved here and she had people to practice with, the, the problem from, from what she, I, she explained to me was that she was practicing speaking English to other people who had learned to speak English from non-native English speakers. I, I think that's part of the issue. Yeah. I think the other part of the issue, and again, this is not a knock on your wife. Yeah. Because I think it's true. Mm-hmm. She was smarter than most of those people. Yeah. Actually, you know so, what? Let me, give you, let me give you some some interesting – this will be actually fun for the listeners too. Some interesting things. Sure. We've been watching the BBC Sherlock lately. And what I'll, season are you on? Uh, just the first season. I, I've, seen, I've seen all of them, but she's never seen okay. them and she, wants, she wanted to because she likes Cumberbatch. So. And we never watched season four, okay. so I was going to be like, don't ruin season four, but I, okay. I hear it's terrible. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. So let me give you a couple of the phrases that she didn't understand. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, granted, that I think they are more British phrases, but there are things, they're, they're just things that I knew. So light, mm-hmm. w- light fingers. What does it mean if somebody has light fingers? They're a thief. Exactly. Yeah. So, but that's because we read fantasy novels. That's probably true. Yeah. Like they're and they're most like fantasy people. novels take a British structural tone. Yeah, I guess so. And you know, now now I've Tolkien, given you that one. E- Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, I've given yeah. you that one example, and I'm like, I can't think of the other ones because there was like five or six times where we had to pause it and go, and she was like, "What is he talking about?" And and I was like, "Oh, um, how do I explain it?" Because it, that's this is also kind of an interesting thing just for my own journey, and is like. There's like phrases or stuff that contain a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody asks you what it means, it's like, it's difficult to tease that out to go like, so okay, I, so it means, it means this that's a little bit complicated. So, so I, I have two really good examples or okay. two, two thoughts on this. You and I are British files. Mm-hmm. Like we both loved Harry Potter. We both have been to the United Kingdom. I think if we didn't have to be taxed. Yeah. We probably live in the United Kingdom. Oh, like, almost certainly, yeah. Realistically, like I think you would move back to Scotland. I'd probably move to Wales. Yeah, and the, cli- the climate is. I mean, I I might even go to Wales. Like the climate to me is is a perfect climate. Yeah, it, that's the thing. Is like we we both are very very British without being British. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of British phrases that I just like. You know, you and I have talked about it. The the Great British Bake Off. Oh yeah, yeah. I know what they're saying. And I understand the reference they're making, but my wife doesn't always understand them. And I don't understand them well enough to explain it, but I understand what they're implying. Right. And so there's that, but there's a episode of the uh, show called Archer. Yeah. And so there's a guy that, like, I think Tom Woods is, like, really decried recently, and I didn't think about it, but I kind of think about it now, but I still like him. Mm -hmm. David Cross. Oh yeah. There's there's a series of episodes where David Cross is like a translator slash like sociology student in like the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And there's some islanders that Archer's interacting with and he's basically using idioms left and right. Yeah. And he's like they don't translate. And 
he at some point the david cross character is like do you even know what an idiom is and he gives the technical definition of idiom mm-hmm. and it stops the guy in his tracks and he's like yes because you know it's like you can't put the heart the cart before the horse yeah and like to a ukrainian right like a direct literal translation of that it's like yeah no shit right like i understand like ukrainian georgian whatever that literally makes sense to them because it's like yes that that makes sense but why would you be bringing that up right but you know you talk to you and i it's like we've heard that forever yeah who what's the the structural component from that where does it come from right like who knows but that's kind of the idea like you know you're like with your wife like watching these british shows it's like look she has to deal with american slang and then on top of that she has to deal with american anarchist internet slang <laughs> from you that's true and and, and, then, and i'm sure I, I i'm sure i'm sure i'm always lobbing these these weird phrases and stuff yeah and that's the thing is like you and i both have familial phrases that make no sense to anyone else yeah and they only make sense to each other us because we've talked about them for so long, right. for so long you know so like we we have this like inborn like you know where we would text tomatoes for tomorrow like because we were both so bad at spelling like spell check would correct our stuffs into like this incre- insanely insanely complicated stuff to each other and it's like this is unintelligible yeah yeah and now you're watching a british show that is a, a popular british show that's made for the masses that like they try to talk down to you in like they try to make Sherlock and Watson so smart that they talk down to you, like as the the person watching it, kind of like, right, oh. right. You know, it's kind of that British thing where it's like somebody's talking down to me, like oh, I feel like appropriate, or you know, that weird, you know, kind of like I always get that impression from British stuff where it's like, oh, I like being lorded over, whereas right. you and I are like, burn the state, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, right, but you know, nonviolently, like mm. uh, we're just gonna go do this thing over here and never talk to you again, yeah, but. So, like, you know, it's very interesting to me. But so, again, you know, it's one of those things where, like, if what I'm thinking can work the way it's work, I think it could. Mm-hmm. We could invest in Moldovan wine because the dollar yeah. to Moldovan translation is so strong, even if things go bad here. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. one of the things, and I've actually talked to Victoria about this, is is investing in Moldova or Ukraine or somewhere like that is... Mm-hmm. Is um, stability of the government, but let's we'll we'll get into that later. This yeah. article, the article is by uh, Pear and uh, Brit P E R. Is that Pear? Pear P E R. Yeah. Per? Okay, so Per and Brit Carl Carlson. So that's a weird name. P E R Per. Hmm. Per. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's a Forbes article. It's it's mm-hmm. basically. I didn't write out my normal summary because I just thought we'd kind of talk about Moldovan wine. Now, um, real quick, mm-hmm. I hate to disrail it. Okay. They have a, uh, so their other article that they released 12 hours ago. Yeah. Favorite Bordeaux restaurants and wine bars. Oh, interesting. Which completely up our, our, up our alley. So Yeah, it is. Okay. So, yeah. Moldovan wine. Uh, it looks like a husband and wife team, possibly a father and wife team, because the or father and daughter team. Yeah. Otherwise, it's creepy because the the dad looks the older the gentleman who I'm assuming is per. Yeah. Much older looking. He does look older. To the lady. 
But it, maybe she just ages well, or he she aged well and he didn't. I don't know. But uh, anyways, I'm grateful to them. The articles, the article is very good. So Me too is very good. Yeah. So they they kind of go over this. Is uh, Moldova uh, is has has it's got a very long history of growing grapes, and mm-hmm. it is one of the most densely planted countries in Europe. Uh, it's the most densely planted country in the world. Oh, in the world. Okay. And what, at least as as I remember the article, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what I thought was interesting though about the article is it used to be twice as planted as it is currently. Holy moly! Yeah, and but when in the eighties when Gorbachev was running those like anti alcohol campaigns, they tore out a whole bunch of the vines, almost a third of the I vines. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, so uh, that is. An insane amount of grapes. Now, granted, the article kind of goes into it. It says most during the Soviet times, most of the stuff that they were growing was not high quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't. They were growing mostly stuff that was for making uh, distilled liquors, like uh, cognac style. Um, and they, it's actually they actually say what it's now being branded as. It's a, but it's very similar to cognac. Uh, I'll look it up later. But uh, yeah, they. And they're, they are coming back to that, but then once the Soviet Union collapsed, they they actually had a period of time where it was very difficult for them to figure out who owned what, mm-hmm. and, and that put mm-hmm. a big monk, that kind of put a big monkey wrench into their viticulture. Is there was a lot of people saying, "Well, no, it's mine," or "No, it's mine," or whatever, and like, and then in the meantime, a lot of the people were just kind of continuing to care for the vineyards and stuff and just figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And once they figured it out, and there was a lot of a lot of uh, vineyards that got privatized and and went into families or co-ops or something like that. And their primary exporter was Russia. And mm-hmm. then in 2006, Russia... Primary export market. Yeah, primary export market. Then in 2006, Russia put an embargo on them. And it destroyed their market. Now, for those of you who don't know, and this is something I learned, not from this article, but I've learned it from being married to an Eastern European... The Eastern European palate for wine is much, much sweeter than the than the Western European or the American palate. Uh, so they do produce a tremendous amount of sweet and off-sweet wines. Uh, a lot of them are very interesting. But once the embargo happened, a, a lot of the producers in Moldova had to kind of rethink what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they went ahead and started planting some Western European varietals. And then a lot of entrepreneurs in Moldova were like, you know what? We actually have several indigenous grape varietals, and Western Europeans and Americans are very interested in unusual grape varietals. So even though it's still a very small percentage of the total uh, grapes planted, they are producing a lot of their own indigenous varietals. And uh, let me read out what they're called. There's going to be a slight pause and will probably be cut out in editing, but let's look here. This is a very long article. I didn't realize how long it was. Did you? I mean, it's not that long. Uh, I've lost it, but anyways, <laughs> there, there's there's several there's several indigenous ones. Um, mm-hmm. If you see them, Mason, when you scroll through it. Um, but in addition to having several indigenous ones, they they are growing. You know, the standards: Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, uh, Petit Verdot, Cabernet Franc, that kind of thing. And they've also brought over um, some of the Georgian varietals like uh, Mukuzani and um, Saparavi, and mm-hmm. um, which are, are popular. Now, granted, Georgia has something like 500 genetically mapped um, 
something like 500 genetically mapped grapes or something like that. Uh, yeah, so like, uh, so it's Fiesca Alba, Fiesca Regalia, Ra Negara, Victoria, and Victoria. Yeah, so those are the Moldovan, like, specific ones. Um, yeah, it, it, they have, like, one of the largest private wine collections in the world based on one of the things that they were talking about because mm-hmm. it's just this huge underground celery or sell yeah and it used to be um, i guess it used to be a yeah. quarry and mm-hmm. then and then it tur- and then the soviets turned it into like a gigantic wine factory yeah it, it, that's this is one of those things that like is amazing about planned economies it's like oh you do this well and you do it well because it's in small batches dominated (laughs) like you know the brutalist idea of architecture like this is kind of like that thought for me like the one of the things i find so fascinating and i like i really wish i could spend the rest of my life studying is like the 1960s in all of the europe or all of the soviet satellite in soviet provinces Uh like you know there was the de-stalinization but like some places were still stalinizing because of the like just the lag and delay and like yeah. project times and you know just all that stuff. It's so interesting. Yeah, but yeah, like there's a castle that apparently they have in this area mm-hmm. that like is a big wine thing. Like I think that's going to be the headquarters. For oh yeah. Um, well, so. and you know what's really cool about it is it's right on the border with Ukraine, and I think that Odessa, which is a is a pretty popular wine mm-hmm. region mm-hmm. in Ukraine, is and also Odessa is a pretty popular city yeah it is yeah and and it's warmer there it's right Mm -hmm. on the black sea so now that crimea Mm -hmm. crimea is kind of out of the picture which is unfortunate because crimea makes amazing wine as well which we're not going to be able to get for many years probably but unless um, we unless we go there go there yeah yeah Yeah. which would be Uh, really cool castle mimi yeah yeah castle mimi and uh mimi mimi yeah yeah um they also have uh what i think is really cool is so one of the things that I've I've grown to appreciate a lot more, and actually you already appreciate appreciate this. I I pretty much only drink wine by itself. I don't usually eat it with or drink mm-hmm. it while I'm eating, and and I'm also mm-hmm. a stage eater. Usually I eat and then I Correct. drink instead yes. of like eat drink eat drink. But when I was getting my certification, going through like the pairings and pairing with food, and so like tasting the like, taking a bite of cheese, taking a sip of wine, going like oh wow this is this is interesting. It's very important. So mm-hmm. Eastern European cuisine is, and I, I've learned this from being married to my wife, is phenomenal. It's it, it is very up your alley. Oh, I I love it. And you know what? It's it's not as hearty as like British cuisine, which is what mm-hmm. you, which is super up my alley. But it's it's it does have a heartiness to it. But everything's so fresh usually, uh, especially when you get it from like a actually Eastern European cook is they is mm-hmm. everything's fresh everything is um not 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 necessarily organic although victoria buys only organic stuff when she cooks but there's just a lot of flavor it is it's very dense in flavor i guess that's what's up my alley is that is like the density in fl- of flavor where there's mm-hmm. like just a whole lot of interesting things and one of the things they point out is and and this is some is true about ukrainian cuisine too is there is meat is not a main dish in a lot of their foods a lot mm-hmm. of it's is cooked vegetables, and then yeah, and, and then the meat is added. And, and this is the thing that like I think would be super interesting, going back to Moldova and looking at the cuisine 
1860 mm. compared to the cuisine in 1920 yeah. and compared to the cuisine in 1960. Right. Because, like, one of the things that, like, you and I know is, like, Ukraine was the breadbasket of so much of the Russian Empire, Europe, yep. and all that stuff until a Stalin basically starved them out. Right. But, like, what were the local Ukrainians eating when you're the breadbasket? Like, yeah. You know, like, what was the interesting meat dishes? And I think that's one of those things where it's, like, I'd really like to see the evolution of, like, mm-hmm. these different cuisines compared and you know that's one of the things that like people talk about like oh blah 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 like you know american you know like oh it's so bad for you like american food and it's like mm-hmm. it it is now yeah but before like that's how you made people like you where you're like six five six six like just massive yeah. people and like you know when you you look at like the horrors of world war one and the deprivation and then like you know, their kids were barely any bigger. And then, like, the Americans show up and it's like, what have you been doing? I've been eating corn and cow. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> My entire life. Like, yeah. I've had nothing but good food. Yeah. Like, even in the Depression. Like, you know, that's one of the things that I think, like, you know, like, you've been talking about some of the things that you were kind of conspiratorial about. One of the things I think is very conspiratorial about is, like, how bad the Depression actually was. Mm-hmm. And, like... You know, we could talk to your grandma, and I think, like, we'd get a really good sense of it. Like, she's like, it was not great, but it didn't, like, she didn't eat dirt soup. No. Well, actually, like, she's, she th- talks about this a lot. It's like, one of the things that my great-grandma was always very ashamed of was that she had to feed them potatoes. Yeah. And, 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 and that's but, the thing. But there was an abundance of potatoes. Yeah. So and, they weren't hungry. The, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like one of the things that people always talk about with the depression is the dirt bowl mm-hmm. and how the middle of the country was so impacted. But like on the East Coast, like we grow plenty of food. And on the West Coast, you grow plenty of food. But what you don't grow is what the government was subsidizing these like long crop staples yeah. like in the middle of the country. And, and it's not that those people's plight wasn't bad. Yes, it was bad, but, like, they should have just freaking left. But neither here nor there, but, like, I think that's one of the things is, like, the Depression wasn't as bad as people make it out to be because the government basically made it worse. But it's one of those things that I always think is funny is, like, what does the Depression do bad? What does the government do badly? Everything. Would the government do badly? The Depression? Yeah. Like, they made it seem like it was worse. Like, literally, like, John F. Kennedy was like, I learned about it in college. Right. Like, and he was alive through like the entire thing. It's just yeah. like, well, and, and that I happened. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of like my grandma talked to, has talked to me a little bit about it. And she was poor before the depression. She was poor during the depression. And she was poor after the depression. And mm-hmm. then, and then she, you know, she and my grandfather, they worked their way up and they, and, yeah. you know, as the economy grew, they escaped being poor and, yeah. and became and, and, middle class. And that's the thing is like, I don't like, I don't think you're like, I think your grandmother would have become middle class either way. Yeah, possibly. But she be, escaped middle class by like means of, you know, being a teacher and things like that. Yeah. Like where the government put this focus. But like, I think your grand, like personally, I think your grandmother would have been an amazing entrepreneur. But like, well, in she, you know, she was actually, before she was in education, she was a journalist. Yeah. Uh, and, but and, that's, that's what I mean is yeah. like, I, everything I hear about your grandmother, it's like, if she just had access to the technology that exists today, oh yeah, that would be cool. Your your family be billionaires. Yeah. Like your grandmother, like, and that's the thing is like if your mom didn't have as many kids to raise, like 
I think you, your mom would have just been like, oh, yeah, you know, I made a million dollars today. Like, yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, just well, what happened I, to the million dollars? I donated it all. Yeah. Like, to well, some that's true. She, she probably would. Charity. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing is, like, you know, I kind of believe in that. Like, I don't believe in a religion, in right. a faith, but I, I kind of do believe that, like, people who have a positive mindset that help other people generally get rewarded in that regard because mm-hmm. people bring opportunities to them. It's kind of like if you're a jerk, no one wants to help you. But if you're super nice, like when things are going bad, like they're not going that bad because everybody's helping you. Right. You know, it's like, oh, everybody made everything really nice. Like it's not that bad. Like, so your mom will like donate a million dollars and suddenly have $2 million. It's like, yeah, oh, that's true. Well, it just happened. Well, you know, kind of so, like to rein it, rein it back in. Cause yeah, exactly. I, I love talking about my mom, but to rein it back into this thing is the point that I was making is that, um, most of the time, and actually this would apply very much to you, Mason is mm-hmm. you're always kind of saying that like, Oh, well I, I would pair these things with the opposite of what people Correct. normally recommend. Yes. And, one of the things that I learned from both uh, the WSIC class and also from Elizabeth from Wine for Normal People is that there there are like standard things like red wine with, with steak or red wine with beef or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she one of the things she talks about is that there's a lot of places where beef is just not the staple. It's not the main Correct. thing. And, and yes. Moldovan and Ukrainian cuisine have this a lot where you get uh, things like eggplant are mm-hmm. are a big part of it. And so instead of pairing your uh, saparavi or your mukazani or whatever with steak, actually, I think one of those is white. I don't remember which one. I think saparavi is white. Uh, I think mukazani is red, but I don't recall. And Yeah, I, I, think, you, I think you have those correct. Okay. Uh, but you would pair the one that is stronger and less sweet with eggplant, a roasted eggplant with maybe roasted pepper and maybe roasted uh, okra or – well, actually, I don't know if they have okra there. But roasted, no, okra is an African. Oh, is it African European varietal? Okay, or African uh, North American. Oh, okay, kind of okay, variety. yeah. So the, well, but but my point still, now, yeah, it's like a weed. Yeah, okay. Well, but my point still kind of stands is that like mm-hmm. this this is actually, and they mentioned this in the article. If you're a vegetarian or you are a pescatarian, you only eat fish. A lot of a lot of Eastern Europe, Ukraine in particular, and Moldova has very similar cuisine is very, very vegetable-heavy and very, very fish-heavy, which is not usually my favorite, but I've started to I've started to grow an appreciation for a lot more fish than I used to, um, well, I, just I from the we, just from being introduced to, like, smoked fish, for example. Well, like, I think I think there are two things that you failed to get with fish, and it's smoked mm-hmm. and grilled. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's one of the things that, like, in the United States, like, there's not a lot of grilled fish, and a lot of the... I think like freshwater fish can be kind of more fishy. Yeah. The, there's not as much flow mm-hmm. um, and not the flow that bird wants, but <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know, the, the standard flow of water, like, yeah, there's a lot of flow in you know, rivers and things like that, but lakes and stuff like that don't have it. Whereas the, the ocean does. So you, you get less fishy in my opinion there. And then like, it doesn't seem like your family was, super super big on grilling things no no i mean once in a while but it was usually like hamburgers and hot dogs yeah but like you know that's the thing is like you know with you know me like i'm literally like give me the charcoal like, yeah pretty much any like i did it at childerberg i ended up somehow grilling something at childerberg like, yeah when we'd have parties at your house like i'd somehow be the one on the grill yeah like 
my family is super big on the grilling things and that's one of the things about fish is like it takes to charcoal very well Mm -hmm. for the most part salmon maybe not as much in my personal opinion but that's kind of the thing to me is like you know this is like i want to go to moldova yeah and i want to go to georgia yeah i would love to go to ukraine but I think, like, you and I would probably be in Chernobyl the entire time in Ukraine. <laughs> right. Like, just going, like, this is really cool. Yeah. Like, just walking around and everyone else is like, those friggin' idiots. They literally camped in Chernobyl. Well, par- like, uh, apparently people still live there. And, oh, you, and but that's the thing. And they're is, perfectly healthy. Or they don't have a higher rate of cancer than anybody else in, in this. They in don't, Eastern but Europe. they're also, they were in their 50s when yeah. the accident happened, and they're in their 80s now in the... The iodine, which is the heavy uh, byproduct for Half-Life mm. that was released there, metabolizes in the thyroid specifically. In the thyroid is specifically very active during puberty. Oh, interesting. So okay. a lot of the, the cancer issues and birth defects they saw were in younger people. Okay. The people who were already kind of going already, if you had a higher risk of thyroid issues beforehand... You were effed. Huh. Okay. But it's kind of like if, you know, like you, you, your family doesn't have a, a, a history of thyroid issue as far as I know. Yeah, me neither. I, I have no idea. Yeah. So most likely it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. But if you, your family had a higher, high risk of thyroid issue, you probably wouldn't want to be there during that initial release of the radioactive iodine. Right. Which is, I think, a second tier uh, radioactive product. So that was kind of one of the things that like... It's a staggered issue because, like, it's a secondary byproduct of Half-Life and it's a more stable and longer term, but not super long term one, the iodine they had issues there with. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. not to derail it totally, but yeah. that's the thing is, like, you know, so 2021, hopefully, we'll have a Moldova. So, I, I want to call it Tasting Moldova is what yeah, I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, So, that's kind of what I, what I think is... Know, kind of get in the ground floor see this place and if if we can be significantly well off when it happens that's going to present a different aspect you know what right. i mean like well you know and and that aside like from the moldovan wine that i've had because there is there is some available to me at the russian store and things like that mm-hmm. it, it is very good it's usually not the style that i like uh, yeah. but it is it, it is fine it's fine wine it's affordable too it's i think most of the wine that we get at the russian store is moldovan uh a lot of times the cohor which is uh i think cabernet sauvignon actually uh and it's um really cheap it's like 12 bucks or something like that and mm-hmm. it, it's a sweet red wine i don't i don't know the process of making a cab sauv sweet i guess it's just you ferment it less I, I thought Cahor had something else in it. There, it might, I, it might be I because could it, it's be like wrong. it's like sixteen percent alcohol by volume, uh-huh. but it's sweet. So I don't know yeah. how the, I don't know how they're accomplishing that. There, there must be some different process. And Victoria loves it. To me, it's just <laughs> it's nauseating. It's just like oh my gosh, like this is well, way too sweet. Yeah, and that's one of those things where it's like there's not a lot of sweetness permeating that culture, mm. like in the food varietals. So yeah. like. It makes me wonder, like, how much, um, you know, because there's so much sweetness in our food. Yeah. 
But then it's like, oh, if you had something that's nauseatingly sweet, like, wouldn't that overbalance? I mean, ne- neither here nor there. Yeah. But, well, you know, so. that, actually, that's one of the things. If anybody ever, if anybody has an Eastern European, like, bakery or store near you, is to go get, like, their fresh pastries, I think are, I w- I'm not going to say that they're better than ours. They're just very different than ours. Mm-hmm. It's instead of it being like, like, if you like an apple turnover, they have a, they have the equivalent of apple turnover. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got apple in it and apple not not <laughs> apple and like 10 pounds of sugar yeah and it's so good and it but it's not it's not sweet it's not sweet sweet it's not like it's not like going and getting a donut or a pastry or an apple turnover here where they've got like the crystallized sugar on top and all that sort of stuff it's just mm-hmm. like it's basically like a crust a croissant stuffed with baked apple it's super yeah. super delicious uh and and i really appreciate that kind of dessert now it's just yeah, it's, like not overly sweet and just a, it's just fresh and tastes good. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I totally know what you mean there. Well, all right. Uh, I do have one last thing I want to mention before we close the show. Very good. Uh, it is not – I don't have a lot of information of it because it's just based on Trump kind of doing Trump's thing, which is basically just – Trumping it up. Yeah, trumping it up, talking off the hip or whatever. So France has recently imposed a uh, – a a digital tax it's called and this is hmm. this is a po- imposed on a lot of american companies that are operating in france so mm-hmm. in in response to this trump basically said marcone should be careful because if he p- puts a tax on our digital products we'll put a tariff on his wine oh no and then he tweeted out i've always liked american wine better than french wine hmm which is interesting because from my understanding he doesn't drink at all. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how he would have an opinion one way or the other, in, unless it's just like, he's just like, oh, it's American, so clearly it's better. Which, on the one hand, like, I, I get that. Like, there's a lot of stuff where I'm just like, well, yeah, it's better because it's me, or it's because it's my people, <laughs> you know. But uh, I just thought it was a very interesting thing. So something for everybody to keep an eye on. I'm going to be keeping an eye on this as well. And, I, and the story does seem to be developing because Marcon has had a response to it. And... Uh, mm-hmm. One of the largest exports of France to the United States is wine uh, per capita, yeah. and exactly, yeah, or, or not per capita uh, by dollar amount, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's one of those things where, like, I wonder, like, I knew that Trump wasn't a drinker, mm-hmm. and I always assumed that it was he was a teetotaler and didn't drink at all, and yeah. I think that's what we've implied, and I may have taken from what you thought was being yeah oh i i thought that was the case yeah it may be that trump has consumed but doesn't specifically seek out that's possible yeah you know so like oh there's a french wine available at this event you know but like trump's like one of those guys has an opinion on everything Mm -hmm. so like i think that might be it too but yeah that's a that's a really interesting thing and like i don't think the french economy could take like the u.s being like nope yeah, I mean, this like, is a huge, and I think that it's not in this article that I'm looking at from BBC, but like some of the figures people were were floating out was a 24 percent tariff. Well, I mean, they've been doing 25 percent yeah. across the board. They they have been, which is is very yeah. very high. But I mean, can that that to me is, I mean, given that like some of the best French wine that isn't mm-hmm. really expensive is like twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah terrible yeah yeah very terrible and like and think about this too 
Mason, is that there's a lot of French wine that we're not we we don't have access to because they don't export it because it's just cost prohibitive. This mm-hmm. makes it this mm-hmm. makes it even worse. Is yeah, it's it there's like so much that they would want to try to bring over here mm-hmm. just if they could, but because of the French issues, like just getting it on the boat, basically. Yeah. There there's like, a there's a cab franc from Bordeaux, the straight cab franc. Mm-hmm. Uh and I can't recall the producer, but I've got it saved in my notes. There's only one importer right now that brings it in. And it's it's actually very cheap. It's like it's like twenty five dollars a bottle or something like that. Um and I really want to get it, but right now it does it they can't ship to Texas, uh, which maybe will change because of these uh Supreme Court decisions. But mm-hmm. uh I really, really want to get this cap franc. But if you see if they ship here. Uh well actually that might be yeah, maybe I'll I'll see if they if it, it's it's a New Jersey importer, so I bet you they do. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll see if, if they'll ship to you, then I'll, maybe I'll ship it to you and have you, you ship one yeah, bottle we'll, of it to we'll me and then, we'll, out, and then yeah. we'll do it on the show. But, uh, to the point though of this, of this tariff is that this is somebody who has very slim margins already and, and are not, they, it's a specialty importer bringing that wine in. Mm-hmm. So if there's a 25% tariff, it may be the specialty importer is just like, eh, the margins are not high enough. I'm just not going to bring it in anymore. Yeah, I mean, it changes the game so much. It, like, you can't assume that you have a product, and, and not to dig into what we had, you and I had talked about previously mm-hmm. today, but like, kind of how we were talking about like what the market would and wouldn't do, which is an irrational conversation because, like, until you're literally at that point, you oh know. yeah yeah the crypto thing yeah. yeah okay yeah so but like that's the thing is like would the market sustain this you know is this wine so good that people are just kind of gonna buy it no matter what or is it what you and i would think and it's like no that's literally you'll never see it again yeah yeah and that could just completely destroy that that vineyard well especially knowing just kind of the wine culture in france in particular is that Mm -hmm. they do have a very large domestic consumption of wine less so in bordeaux but uh, Bordeaux is kind of an export market, but even even the the I guess they're Bordelais, the people who live in Bordeaux, they pretty much only drink Bordeaux. So if you go into if you go into somewhere like Bordeaux and you're like, oh, I've got this really great Burgundy Pinot Noir, they're like, what? Oh, we don't drink that. We drink what we have here, and that's just part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, you get this once you get into like the the higher quality sommeliers and things like that. Yeah, they they do cross borders, but like the average everyday folk. So if if the the producer of this really good cab franc have two options, they have the option to either have to impose a twenty five percent price hike or just sell it to the locals. You know, the locals are I'm sure are, are perfectly happy to drink a, a cab franc. And well, that, that's you know, the thing is like the question would be, and, and you're, I think you're personally not thinking about it wrong necessarily, but you're assuming that like these guys somehow were had the option to sell it to locals and right. not that because they couldn't sell it to locals they went afield well in this particular case i do have a little bit more insight okay um, okay but it, but it's only this one it, when it's when it's a like when it's a broader thing yeah i don't i don't have a lot in this particular yeah. case there's an American importer who specifically sought out this one wine and bought it. Okay. Gotcha. But uh and that's the one I want to try. But and it's super cheap too. 
if I can get it, if I, if I can get it shipped to you, then we'll definitely do that because it's supposed to be such a good example of what a uh, Bordeaux Cab Franc is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And they don't normally they don't normally have single varietals either, which is really cool. So, anyways, keep let's keep yeah. an eye on the tariff. You and I will talk about it on the show, uh, listeners. If you guys want to continue to find out how much government is in your drink. This is the place to do it, and this is something that is going to be putting a lot of government in your drink because you right now you have the access to all of these, you know, in a lot of cases, fantastic American wines. And mm-hmm. but you in the future you may have access <coughs> to those fantastic American wines, but only at the expense of of the government excluding others, which puts a lot of government in your drink. Uh, anything else you want to cover, Mason? Stay free. All right, everybody, stay free. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that ball to me. Now down on Gilfrey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that ball to me. I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some by fifth and some by four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine.